Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, and this is pureandsimplebible.com, the podcast. So thankful that you're here, grateful to continue in a conversation with Brother Wade Branch about the guilt gauge. Now, we considered one extreme last week, and that was when a person does not feel guilt and how to wake someone up whenever they're disobeying God and it doesn't seem to bother them. However, there's another side, another extreme to this gauge, and that is when people hold on to guilt when they really shouldn't. and Maybe they haven't done anything wrong and they just feel guilty and there's been trauma in their life that's caused that, or they're, they've, they've done something wrong and they've not been able to let it go even though God has forgiven them. Have you ever been that way? You know, a lot of people struggle with guilt whenever they've done something wrong and, and really they don't want to repent and they're stubborn. But I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people who also have been forgiven and yet they still can't seem to let it go. If that's you, you really need to listen to today's lesson. In addition to the guilt gauge, there's some extra conversation. And so I decided to make this three episodes instead of two. Because the extra conversation does take some time, but Wade and I stop and we talk for a bit about some of the mental health factors that go beyond the spiritual. A lot of times people try to spiritualize mental health problems, and certainly there are times when somebody needs spiritual help. But when somebody needs mental health care, and whether that be because of some physiological issue, some sort of chemical imbalance, or some sort of previous trauma that is really just that challenging to overcome. In addition to what we can do with the power that we have in prayer, the power that comes through the Word, Wade and I take a minute to encourage our listeners and each other about the value of seeking mental health care. It is one of the graces of God, and what a fascinating, wonderful age we live in where that's available. So listen for that in this episode. Okay, without any further ado, let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? You know, this is probably the more traditional view of guilt. Uh, just that, that we think people who've done wrong should be guilty, but then they're their conscience gets seared and they don't feel it. So we've got to let them know that if you're on this side of the guilt spectrum, that you need to repent and change and do the, do what is right. But but in your study, you, you kind of transition out of this uh, first letter to the Corinthians into the second letter of the Corinthians. And if people can visualize the guilt gauge or the guilt spectrum, and that little needle that's on the left side Suddenly it's zinged all the way over to the right. And we're still talking about people who are experiencing extreme sorrow in an unhealthy way. But now I like to think whenever I was looking through your notes, this is probably the more realistic type of guilt that that many people in the church struggle with. And that is feeling guilt when you shouldn't be holding on to it. Too much guilt. I should say. And so I'm curious, um, in in your slides, when you leave 1 Corinthians 5, where do you go and what do you use to help explain this other side of the guilt gauge? 
Yeah, so when you hop over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is later kind of, he's kind of creating the balance that God wants us to have. And he's, so he's creating a bookend with this church discipline. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he starts to, he starts to uh, provide the bumper on the other side. And I think this is, a, this is to me what it really hit home. Because like you said, you know, we've, we hear enough preaching about how we need to change. But then there's, there's that kind of unspoken right side of, this, of the spectrum that 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 makes a special point to give us some, some wisdom on. So beginning yeah. in verse 4. Well, give us, a, give us just real quick before you read the, the context of this letter. So I know that the first one is about, uh, specifically in chapter 5, somebody was doing wrong, they needed to be changed, uh, Paul rebuked them, and isn't, isn't in this context the change happened or uh, s- something happened and, and they've kind of taken it too far and so now there's kind of the opposite extreme going on? Yeah, so in the second Corinthian letter, so it's the second time he's writing to them, it sounds like the changes have been made. And and if anything, it seems like their error might be that they're they're being too harsh on this guy now. And they're not allowing for the process of repentance and and restoring to happen. And so uh-huh. the the instruction that Paul is going to give them is okay, you've done you've done the, the, the steps to, to help confront the sin. Now we need to help this guy. Now we need to kind of wrap our arms around him and show him love. Great, great. All right, so uh, can I read for you 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4? Yeah, please. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would make, be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have, especially for you. So that last part of the sentence is is really beautiful. He said the whole point of, of him writing to them is that they are going to know the love that he has for them. So his goal wasn't just to make him sad, is <laughs> basically what he's saying. But then he, in verse 5, uh, maybe we should read it. I'm gonna, I, I just, I like to spoil Bible verses, apparently. I keep asking <laughs> you about their context before we read them. Um, let me read it real quick, and then I'll ask you a question. But if anyone has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not for me, but in some degree, not to say too much, for all of you. Sufficient for such a person is this punishment, which was imposed by the majority. And so whenever I look at that uh, scripture... It makes me want to know, it seems like he's acknowledging the pain and hurt. He's not sweeping it under the rug. We've kind of answered that question already, but I'll ask it again since we're on this scripture. Why is it so important that he brings this up again, that he acknowledges the pain and the hurt? Right. So I think this is kind of one of the, it ties in with the need for confession. So part of the need for confession is so that things can be made right. And when people have been hurt, it's not just enough for someone to make the changes. There's still hurt feelings. And God and through the Holy Spirit 
you know, he, he wrote this and he had Paul say, if he's caused sorrow, it is for you all. Don't be worried about me, the preacher coming in here and trying to work this out. You've had to go through some hard things. And when there, when there's unrepented sin in a congregation, there can be hurt feelings. There can be people who have been hurt by something. And part of the restoration is that they're acknowledged for what they've suffered because because they had a role as a part of that body that was that needs to be acknowledged. And a lot of times, maybe those are the people who are holding on without recognition, even when there's turmoil. And so yeah. those people need recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, on your, your guilt gauge, uh, maybe we could take a moment just on that far right side to explain to our listeners what the red and the yellow are. So obviously red is the extreme. The extreme on the left was, I don't feel any guilt at all. The yellow, which is better, but still not good was, I may feel guilty, but I'm not doing anything about it. So before we continue in second Corinthians two, um, could you express to our listeners what the other extremes are? What's the red and the yellow on the right side of the gauge? Yeah, so the other extreme is that maybe I feel guilt even when no wrong is done. So maybe that's that's someone who who is going about their day and they just struggle with this feeling of guilt, you know, maybe for no reason. But then, you know, as you get a little bit better, you can have that on the spectrum. There's also what I have the yellow, you know, I called it, is maybe someone who feels guilty even after making their wrongs right. So even after taking those steps to make the changes and maybe having those tough conversations, they still are being burdened down by that guilt. And so those are the two uh, areas I have on the right side, on the directionally right side of the spectrum. And so we're contextually uh, talking about a man who did wrong and is being, I guess, overly punished for it. But kind of more of a, a universal sense, we're, we're trying to take it out of this man's specific case, and we're asking Christians to think about, in their own life, how do you respond to guilt? And this is why I liked your study so much, because I feel like there are a lot of us who carry guilt that we don't have to. And uh, I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that in general, just the people you've talked with. How do you, how do you help people whenever they are carrying unnecessary guilt? Yeah, that's, that's a huge, huge area that really I don't think we talk about a whole lot. Um, I know in my own life, I've struggled with, with guilt. And it's come in times where, I mean, at times I wasn't even doing anything wrong and I was just feeling burdened by this guilt. And I've had times where I did mess up, but that guilt just stayed with me. And, you know, I thought that was just me. I thought it was something I struggle with, something that, you know, you know, my, my difficulty, I don't know why it's happening, but, but then I started to talk to some, some other younger brothers and sisters, you know, as I tried to work with more people and help other people. And I noticed that pattern with some of my, some of the guys I hang out with, uh, who are, who are coming to Christ is they would try to make things right, but they wouldn't really feel relief. They were, if anything, more burdened 
by guilt the more they tried. So I, I started mm-hmm. to see that with my friends around my age. Okay, maybe it's just us. Well, then I would, I would be sitting in a, in a nursing home with an older brother or sister who was maybe you know, coming to the end of their life or had a serious illness they were dealing with that was life-threatening. And they would want to pray because they were feeling guilt and feeling fear because of sin in their past or because of just the gravity of the situation when we are near death or when we are considering the brevity of life guilt can overcome us because of how much we under how much we how much we value eternity how much we see the greatness of eternity and our desire to be with God one day in heaven that can create an overreaction inside of us particularly like i just said for an older po- person who is uh, maybe nearing nearing that the end of their life that can be a heavy burden and i started to see that this th- this common theme of christians being burdened by guilt if we read second corinthians 2 7 and 8 everything that you just said i uh I see going on in these two verses. Now, again, I get to see your notes, and that's something that our audience will get to. So we kind of got to visualize it for them. But I observe in your scriptures that uh, you're using certain words with a color that uh, matches the spectrum. For example, if I read it real quick, it says in verse 7, so that on the other hand, you should rather forgive and comfort. And I, I noticed that forgive and comfort are in green. And then it says, you you should forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And that's in red. I assume that that's a connection to the guilt gauge. And I'm curious if you, uh, what, what was your intention behind coloring these words in your Bible verses? Right. So it's quite the, quite the presentation to be made for visual and really hinge on the visual, but be over a podcast, but uh, we'll work with it. So the <laughs> forgiven comfort are pointed at the healthy goal of the conscience. Those are pointed at the goal of causing repentance and then moving past it. And forgiving and comforting this man would be those steps that you could take to get this guy in the right headspace. Because if he's not in the right headspace, he can be, what's said after that, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the far right, maybe it's, it's, the, it's the bad way to be with your conscience on the other end of the spectrum, where he can't get past this. And verse 8 is kind of the conclusion of it. Right, He says, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. And that's in green, reaffirm your love. So trying to get someone out of that extreme requires us to reaffirm our love. Right. And I love to read this passage. Like you mentioned, we're reading about another man who was doing wrong, then had to be, had to be encouraged after he made his wrongs right. But I love to read this passage and think about it in light of me. So that mm-hmm. when he says, you know, you should forgive and comfort him. And then 
reaffirm your love for him. That's really like, you know, you might call it God moving the puppet of Paul with God's actions and God's motivations and God's perspective. God's perspective is forgive, comfort, and reaffirm your love. So behind Paul, you know, if you're looking at kind of a a puppet, behind Paul, there is our God standing there and his desire for us when we have repented, when we have a desire to change our life. God wants, he's standing in the background wanting to forgive, to comfort, and reaffirm his love for us. And Mm -hmm. that just... Man, that makes me feel good. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Well, that's why the gospel's good news. That's it. You know, it's it's we talk about the good news of Jesus that he uh he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and and we can be saved as a result of that. And that's kind of the obviously the the core of the gospel. But man, all of this residual fruit that we get from that good news is sort of the mental health relief that we get from right. knowing that we don't have to hold on to that guilt anymore and we can let go. So I'm exactly. I'm just really impressed with with how the study is unlocking that potential. And I love uh, what you have to say about verse 9. Um do you mind reading it and then you have a comment on that phrase according to the will of God. And so I'm I'm hopeful that you can maybe explain that to the audience. Yeah, sure. So verse 9 goes on to say, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. So Paul's saying, I'm not just happy that I'm that I really got into under your skin. You know, I I think sometimes it can be a, something we have to be careful as preachers or as teachers of the gospel that are not our goal is not to just make somebody feel bad. Our right. goal is to make someone sorrowful to the point of repentance. Mm. And that point is is the it's the balance, right? It's that same thing we've been talking about. He says, For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. And so the fact that he says that we were that he was made sorrowful according to the will of God implies that that there is a way to be sorrowful or feel guilty that is not according to the will of God. Yeah, there's a to me this is kind of the big I don't I don't know if this is the way you intended it as the writer of this study. But to me this is kind of the big aha moment of the entire study that there is a way that we can be sorrowful that is according to God's will. And by inference, there's a way that is out of his will. And so you, you pause to make a, a point here. And I want to ask you this question. What's the function of guilt according to God's will? Right. So God does not want us. It is, or another way of saying it is, is it is against the will of God for us to be so guilty after making wrongs right that we are excessively sorrow. And it is also against God's will for us to not feel guilty when there's wrong that when there's wrong in our lives. But God wants us to be at the point where guilt leads me to repent, but I leave that guilt at the cross. And 
And so in summary, mm-hmm. this is kind of the, the thesis statement or like the, like you said, it's the culmination of this study is that guilt is really just a tool for us in our minds. It's a tool for repentance. And it's nothing more than that. Because we can get to the place where guilt becomes a lifestyle or guilt becomes kind of that constant companion that we can't shake or that, you know, that really a, a messenger of Satan to hold us down. And God's will is for, like he says in this passage, he's, his will is for us to be sorrowful to the point of repentance. We're, in, we're now in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. And at this part of the study, I, I like how you... Uh, it's like you're trying to preemptively answer a lot of people's questions, because as soon as somebody hears that... Um, you know, guilt should be a tool of repentance and nothing more. It shouldn't be something that shackles us down. They might say, it doesn't matter how you're sorry as long as you're just sorry. And uh, I'm curious what you would say to somebody that says that in in regards to the study we're going through. Right. And so I, I pose that question or that, I pose that question because that is something that I grew up thinking, not because anyone taught it to me, but because I just figured, hey, all that matters is that you're sorry and the rest will work itself right. out. <laughs> that's right. that's kind of the short way of saying it. And I realized that as you know, I, I got a little older that that's not really true. And that we can have a sorrow that leads to death. And that's what 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But then he says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So I can feel guilty to the point that it produces death. So my my juvenile thinking that, hey, as long as I'm sorry, that's what matters. Or if someone thinks, just be sorry and that's good. God says, no, the way you're sorry can determine your salvation or your death. And and you you said that this was a pretty big life lesson for you. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I would say this is one of the the struggles that I had growing up. I mean, it seemed like it seemed like for for I think it was a couple of years. Well, I'll start younger than that. I have always kind of been pretty critical of myself. So, growing up uh, playing little league baseball, I would, you know, I'd strike out or something like that. And I would come back to the dugout and throw my helmet. And <laughs> I, I didn't handle failure very well. I was so competitive. And I, you know, being a youngest, of, the younger of three brothers, uh, I had a younger sister. So, uh, but I had two older brothers and that instilled, I think, some competitive spirit in me that was not okay with failure. Failure was not an option. And, and I started to notice that I did not handle failure well in general. And in junior high, you know, I'd, I'd have a, a game where I wasn't happy with the way I, I shot in a, in a basketball game. You know, maybe I didn't, I didn't shoot that well from the three-point line. And when we got in the truck, I would just be fuming mad. And my dad would say, come on, man, you shot, you shot fine. You know, Michael Jordan only shoots whatever 30 or 40%. And, and my response was, yeah, well, Michael Jordan didn't play – 
the same defenders that I do. His defenders were a lot better than my defenders. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. from a young age, I was, even in sports, I was pretty hard on myself to the point that it really was holding me back. You know, that negativity where I go in the dugout and throw my helmet or I'd be upset on the way home from a game, that really didn't do anyone any good. It just brought negativity. And I thought that was juvenile, but then I started to realize that was something I dealt with in a spiritual way too, where I would, you know, commit a sin or I would do something wrong and it would just hold on to me in ways that really good things didn't. Failure gripped me more than successes. And I've learned that a lot of my life failure has characterized, you know, the way I respond. The way I, let me say that a different way. I've realized that failure has held me back in a lot of ways. Right. And so I think that though is a, it's a common life issue. You know, all those life coaches talk about the way you handle failure is, is what will define you. And I've noticed that in sports, but I've also noticed in my spiritual life that guilt and holding on to my own failures has been something that has not not necessarily pushed me forward spiritually but has held me back because when I continue to deal with my hold on to my guilt for things that I don't need to feel guilty for anymore really it robs me of my joy and if Satan can get me to stop feeling joy in in serving God then he's he's already won half the battle because there's a scripture that says, uh, do not let your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's that's one of those ways Satan can do that. Satan can get us, maybe not from, he doesn't always get us from the outside temptations that catch our eye or, or uh, maybe make you want to throw your fist at someone. Sometimes he gets us by robbing our joy through guilt. And if we can stop feeling the joy of our salvation, like, like David prayed, then that takes away our motivation to serve God. And so it may seem like a small thing, like, oh, you know, it's just guilt, but really guilt can influence the way we, how we survive spiritually. And that's what verse 10 says, how it can produce a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but it can also produce death. Looking at at your guilt gauge once again, and um, you know we're we're on the right side. We're talking about feeling guilt, even though um, maybe it's already been taken care of. And specifically, yeah, that yellow color where it says, "I feel guilty, even though I've made my wrongs right." You have a psalm, Psalm thirty-eight, that you quote in your study. Why don't you uh, read it for us, and then help us understand why you you have it here? Yeah, so Psalm 38, verse 4, It's I love to go to the Psalms to try to get an internal perspective on what people of God go through. And David is a great example of that, from failure to success. And so uh, let's hear what he has to say about guilt. He says, For my guilty deeds have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. And... I love reading these Psalms of David because we really do know he wasn't a perfect guy. 
he, he had some pretty nasty mistakes, but just the perfect picture of one of God's people, I think. Um, he's also described as a man after God's own heart by the way he responded. Now, he was a repentant man, but it shows that with a repentant spirit, you can have this dilemma of being weighed down by guilt and, and the, the guilty deeds that he had done in the past. And David expressed this pretty often in the Psalms. And so I think reading this passage just helps me understand that, hey, this is going to be something we deal with as Christians. This is going to be something that we got to prepare ourselves with or prepare ourselves for is that people deal with this who seek after God's will. And you're not, you're not alone if, if, if you feel that way because David himself did. I can appreciate that about David, um, especially in the Psalms. I think of Psalm 51. I think that's maybe one of the most famous examples of David's uh, repentance. It's right after his um, affair with Bathsheba. Now, you've got a couple examples, maybe to go along with the scripture, uh, some high school buddies, I think. So <laughs> do, you, do you mind yeah. sharing those? Yeah, so... Uh, like I, I keep going back to sports because it helps me to have a, an area of my life where I've, I guess, experienced failure, success, and all those things and, and the processes you go through. And baseball has historically been one of those uh, sports that really, you know, tries your ability to, to get back uh, from failure. And I had a couple of guys on my team uh, that I felt like exemplified this, this process of dealing with failure. And one of my buddies... Um, he used to struggle a lot with getting really upset after striking out and, and he would just be down the rest of the game if he, if he struck out. And so he drew an arrow underneath his ball cap under the, the brim of his ball cap. So whenever he looked up, he'd see an arrow pointing forward and that arrow would basically be a, a little uh, psyche jogger for him to say, okay, I'm going to move forward from whatever just happened. I'm going to make the next play. I'm going to, take the next pitch. And, uh, and so I like that mentality, you know, giving yourself mm -hmm. kind of a, mm -hmm. a resolve that, Hey, I'm going to struggle with this, but I'm going to move. I'm going to set something in front of me. That's going to help me move forward. Yeah. I like that too. Tell me about so, the invisible toilet. <laughs> yeah. That, that guy was a little more unique than, than the first. <laughs> sure. Uh, he was, he was kind of a goofball. He was one of those guys that, uh, we never failed to hear something really quirky from, and he developed this mechanism for dealing with failure himself where, I mean, he would hack at something uh, three feet over the strike zone and something above his head and he would get all, he would start hitting his head in his helmet. And so one of the things he started, um, uh, one of the things he started doing to deal with his own frustrations at the plate was he would turn around after a bad swing and he would put his bat on the ground as if to flush the toilet. He would kind of make a flushing motion with his arm. And for him, that was, I'm flushing that bad situation down the toilet and it is gone. I'm moving on to the next one. So, <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's, it's here. You have two um, very unique baseball examples of people who are trying to make their actions, or I guess their life more than, than a simple this went wrong and it's not going to control me. So they're trying to move past it. And I feel like uh, just listening to you express this and, and trying to frame it in your Bible study, that 
this is what guilt is supposed to be. It is a tool for us, and it's not meant to to plague our life with suffering, but really, as we talked about previously in the study, it's intended to be a tool that uh, God uses for us to repent. And once we've done that, we shouldn't be carrying it around. Um, what's the difference between this well-established point that we've been talking about, God's use of guilt and uh, the devil's use of guilt, who who may have different plans for that emotional feeling. Right. So I think guilt, like anything in life, can be used to serve God or to serve Satan's purposes. And God can use guilt, I believe, as we've already discussed, to draw someone into repentance. So like this man uh, who was who was committing sin that he had to address in 1 Corinthians, um, guilt had to be felt by this man. So that he would feel the realization, to feel the emotions, to feel the the pull to repent and to change his life. So that's how God can use guilt. We've already established that. Yeah. But Satan can use guilt by what it said at the end of that passage we just read a little bit ago about how he did not want this man to be um, weighted down with excessive sorrow. And that's mm-hmm. something the devil can do to us is he can pull us down so much by that excessive sorrow that we lose our strength, that we feel like, man, this, this fight might not even be worth it. And if the devil can't get you to outright sin, maybe he can cripple you by your own desire to do right. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that a lot. I've heard another one. Uh, Dr. Dobson says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Hmm. And it's unrelated to this, except for we see that the devil is a master deceiver and that he's he'll move past tempting you if he can find other ways to distract you from the Lord's service. And it seems like, yeah, if he can uh, get you to be so fixed on your own guilt that you can't see the hope that is in Christ, that would that would uh, defeat you almost as soundly as sinning would, right? Well, it's a cliffhanger, and I invite you to come back next week to finish up the third part of a very encouraging set of conversations on the guilt gauge. And so come back next week. It will air next Monday, Lord willing. That's when I try to get the podcasts out is are on Mondays at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. I'll tell you what you could do. You could subscribe to the podcast. And if you haven't already, would you please leave a five-star review, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud or Google Music, if that's what you use. I really appreciate that. And it helps me with the analytics. It helps the math whatever it is, the algorithms, to get this podcast suggested to more people. The more people it's suggested to, the more people who are listening. And I tell you what, to God be the glory, Christians are being encouraged, and people around the world are having the opportunity to hear hope in ways that maybe they hadn't before. And I'd love to hear stories of how it's bringing people to Christ. I have heard stories of how it is helping people share the gospel. And what an excellent opportunity it is whenever you can text somebody the link to the podcast, or you can, after work, whenever somebody's 
uh, had a great conversation with you at the lunch table at work. You're able to follow up with, hey, this is something that I listened to that was very encouraging on it. There's a lot of great outreach potential with it, and it only gets better whenever faithful listeners will subscribe and share and leave reviews so that the algorithm department is able to get it suggested to more people. Okay, with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to come back next week. We're still on the right side of the gauge. It's a, the extreme of holding on to guilt even when you haven't done anything wrong, and the lesser extreme, which is you did something wrong, but you've been forgiven by God and you just can't let it go. We're going to keep talking about it for a bit, and then we're going to balance out into the middle part of the gauge, the healthy part of the gauge, and that is that guilt is a tool of God used to bring me to the cross where I can lay that guilt at the feet of Jesus and take on His yoke because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Now, I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil it, but come back next week, please, and thank you. Until then, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. Check out all the content that's there for you to use and download absolutely free. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, Israel was in some trouble.